Welcome back to another episode of RealPod Wednesdays. Uh, our first episode in two weeks here. I think this is the first time we've taken a week off uh, since we started the podcast just before last football season. So uh, it felt weird not to have a pod last week. Good to be back. It did. Is this is this the NHL pod, Dan? Yeah, yeah, Colin. Uh, you can let us know how how have things been going over on the uh, first Ohio Battery side covering the Blue Jackets. It's interesting, I'll tell you that much, considering um, I don't really know if I should give this away, but um, I don't know that I've seen the Blue Jackets play this season. <laughs> so when you're all of a sudden covering them, it's a little bit different getting thrown in there. But, you know, I will say my uh, my once-a-week opportunity to talk Ohio State, I do enjoy. Yeah, well, you, you, you've been doing a good job over there. Uh, I, at least I haven't been able to tell uh, that you don't know hockey, but I'm not a hockey expert myself. So, uh, That's what we, I go for. any uh, any hockey experts out there, feel free to go to firstohiobattery.com and critique Colin's work over there, and a lot more of it to come. Blue Jackets getting set to play uh, exhibition game against the Bruins on Thursday, and then start their playoff series against the Maple Leafs on Sunday. So, uh, lots of hockey stuff uh, for Colin to write about over there, and. Uh, I'm, I might even be uh, chipping in over there once in a while. Uh, I've still been mostly focused on Ohio State, but uh, Colin definitely going to be focused mostly on hockey uh, for the next couple weeks at least. But, of course, uh, still plenty going on in the Ohio State universe. Uh, you know, as always, we're, we're still kind of in this same holding pattern that we've been in for the last four months, not knowing exactly uh, what's going to go on. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit, too, about some uh, recruiting news uh, for football and basketball over the, the two weeks while we've been gone. Uh, both uh, football and basketball Buckeyes picking up a big commitment each. So uh, we'll get to that. But, I, I, you know, I do feel like we, we kind of always have to just address this elephant in the room because it's kind of what everybody's uh, thinking about right now. And, you know, we're in the last week of July here. And we still don't know if there's going to be a football season, which is honestly kind of crazy if you think about it. Yeah, I, I mean, it feels a little bit like Groundhog Day, the fact that we're going to have this conversation again. We'll try and, you know, <laughs> speed through parts of it, try and make the points we want to make. Because the weird thing is, is it feels like we've been on the precipice of a decision for about a month. And it still keeps on getting pushed back and pushed back. And at this point, like, I still think a decision's coming pretty soon, at least on a schedule, on, on something. But it's moving at such a, such a slow pace that it's just, it's been weird to cover, at least from our perspective. And, and probably from everybody else out there who's trying to consume it, you know, it's, you want football to be back, obviously. But, I mean, you're, the, it's ultimately not going to come down to, to what Gene Smith and, and the new president or Michael Drake want to do or Kevin Warren. It's going to come down to what is going on in the world right now, and that changes all the time, and I think that that has made this process remarkably slow and slower than I even really thought possible. You're right about the Groundhog Day, because even like when I was going through like the rundown for the show that we do uh, just to kind of prepare, and it's like, okay, what do I put on here that we haven't already talked about at length like what can what can we talk about that we haven't really talked about a lot here I and mean, then like you know i know later when i'm you know putting putting the show together for the site and uh you know for all of our different platforms that it's on and 
you know, I try to think of a title and go, okay, wh- wh- how do I differentiate this from the four other times we've talked about this on this show? And, and I'm, I'm sure some of you feel like it's, you know, beating a dead horse, but, you know, to some extent it's unavoidable for us to talk about it because it is uh, the dominant thing in, you know, Ohio State football, college football, in sports in general. I mean, we're seeing, I mean, you're talking about hockey. It seems like everything's going pretty smoothly there so far, which is good, but, you know, we saw it with the MLB uh, just a couple days ago with uh, the Miami Marlins having a COVID outbreak. And it, it's just kind of a thing that ho- is hovering over every single sport right now is, uh, is there going to be a COVID outbreak? And, and how are, you know, these leagues, these different entities going to proceed forward? And I think for the professional sports that are in a bubble, it's going mostly smoothly. I think they've got a pretty solid plan. We, we're seeing with MLB, they seem like they don't really have a plan. They're kind of going on the fly here, and they're going to try to work through it, but I think there's still a lot of skepticism. And I think we're still kind of in the same place with college football here. Even with just a month away from, from potentially playing games, it still feels like we just keep kicking the can down the road, kicking the can down the road, uh, and there's still not really a solid plan in place here. No, there's not. I mean, I think that we can look at it from this perspective. Like, what do we know right now? Because, like, at this point, we don't know a ton, but it's worth at least repeating what we do know. And, you know, right now we know what the schedule, what what the baseline of the schedule will be, which will be it'll be Big Ten only. Now, will that mean it'll be six games, eight games, ten games? Who really knows? Twelve games? We don't really know that right now. I would imagine that sooner than later, we're going to know the answer to that part at least because that part's pretty important. Um, We also know right now what Ohio State is doing in practices, which is, you know, they're able to spend 20 hours a week doing team activities, six hours of walkthroughs, six hours of team meetings, eight hours of strength and conditioning per week. And then hypothetically at some point in the near future, they'll be able to begin fall camp, and then that's, that's when things will change. And we also know, you know, as we learned on Tuesday, a little bit earlier today as we're recording, up to 20% of, of Ohio Stadium for home games will be able to have fans. And that's still an if, though. So we don't even really totally know that. That's if they're allowing fans, that's what it would be. And my only thing, Dan, is we're in the last week of July. Is that really all we know? Am I forgetting things? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that's so hard about it, is it's like, at it, it, this point in the year, like, if if this was a typical year, we'd have been in Chicago last week at Big Ten Media Days. We'd be firmly into previewing the season at this point. And, and it's like, now instead, it's like, it's still just like, everything is tinged with this. Like, it's so hard just from my perspective, like, writing about football. Like, every time I write a football-based article, I feel like I have to qual it qualify it five different times if there's a season you know if this happens if this happens because there's still so many big ifs i i think the one i think the one other thing i would mention i'll be honest it because it's been two weeks i i don't remember exactly the timing if this came out before our last episode but i don't think it had uh was the ncaa's recommended guidelines for uh returning to sports and uh, the big thing that really sticks out to me there, and it sounds like the Power Five and certainly uh, the Big Ten, we've seen 
um, multiple schools have to shut down their workouts and are now adhering to this protocol that any athlete, not not only who tests positive for COVID-19, but who comes in close contact with a positive COVID-19 case has to quarantine for 14 days. And to me, that is still, I we've talked about it before, before the plan was out there, and it's still, to me, that is still the number one thing that I look at as a really, really major hurdle for football because close contact is just part of a sport. And, you know, practice, games, whatever, it's unavoidable that you're going to have close contact among a lot of guys. So that's the one thing I look at that really sticks out to me is that it's just going to be difficult to avoid having major outbreaks that would basically knock out a significant portion of your team for two weeks. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's so difficult as well because, I mean, you're talking about in practices, okay, are you going to separate the quarterbacks from each other to make sure that it doesn't spread throughout all the quarterbacks? Are you going to make sure position groups aren't, aren't, aren't you know, together as much so that you're able to, if four guys on the offensive line get COVID, then you have other four backups who weren't practicing with them able to step in. Like, that sounds so crazy, but these are the these are the considerations that, that they're going to have to make. And the, t- the, the tough thing, as you reference, is, like, that's only talking about practice. The games, if, if they happen, the games will be played. And there's no way that you can separate certain guys from other guys. I mean, yes, on the on the sideline, I'm sure that they would implement some sort of social distancing and, and mask wearing and whatnot. But at the end of the day, there's going to be 22 guys on the football field going at it. And football is football. Like, guys are going to be in each other's faces. That's just how it gets played. And I think that as we sit here on July, uh, July 28th talking right now, I think that, that is just an impossible question to not have answered by now. And I think that that's one of the main reasons I'm just so skeptical is, like, if, if the plan is that anyone um, who, who they've been in contact with has to quarantine for that long, I mean, football's not going to happen. Like, we just, like, we have to be realistic about that. Football wouldn't happen in that, in that scenario. So it has to become, uh, you, they, have to, they, have to under, they have to come to some sort of an understanding that, you know, there's going to be a degree of latitude that would that, that would be you know allowed that that isn't currently allowed in, in the proposed rules and I think that that's just so difficult right now and and it makes me as skeptical as ever that a season's going to happen. Yeah, there's so many different considerations that have so, to so, be so many, <laughs> and there's and there's so many that I feel like we really haven't even talked about yet, and I still don't even know if I'm ready to talk about them because there's just so many unknowns yeah. that. But but there are, I mean there's so many different things like that they don't get talked about. Like I think one like we've talked a little bit about off air, but like hasn't really been talked about very much is just the fact that like coaches are part of this too. And like you could have coaches that have to quarantine. And so you could have to have backup coaches. I mean you could have you know, Kevin Wilson or Kerry Combs could have to be the head coach for two weeks if if Ryan Day uh, test positive or has to quarantine. You, know, you could have graduate assistants and quality control coaches who have to become full-time coaches for two weeks to fill in if 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 guys get sick. I mean, and, and you know, what, what, of course, I, I you know, I think there's kind of the obvious of you know, if you have guys quarantining, guys test positive, depth is going to be more important than ever if there's a college football season because you are going to face the possibility of being without 
significant swaths of players for you know two weeks at a time. Now, granted, I, I, I think if you proceed forward with that, it, it, the reality is it, it, there's going to have to be a threshold. It might be an unspoken threshold because I just I just don't think anybody wants to come out and say these things until they absolutely have to. But there's going to have to be a threshold of if a certain number of players test positive that team's just not going to play for two weeks. Like that, It's not going to be realistic to have a team lose 25 players and to still be able to go play two college football games. I don't think that can happen. So I think you know, you're looking at the point that if this season starts, and I still think you know, they're, they're trying to do everything they can to, to make this season happen, but you know, if there's a season, we're going to have to be prepared for the possibility that you know, games just might not happen. I mean, you could just have games that get canceled at the last minute, you know, or, you know, or you could go to the game on, on Saturday and all of a sudden uh, several starters are missing and you can go, where are these guys? And, and find out that, you know, they're in quarantine. So it, it, we, we know this much. It's not going to be a normal college football season. If, if this season happens and, you know, we still hope that it does, uh, I, despite what the people on Twitter say, I can promise you that both Colin and I want to see a college football season. We are not rooting for the virus. We are not rooting for the season to be canceled. Uh, I think we are both reasonably skeptical, but uh, we are both hoping to see a college football season. But we have to accept that if there's a season, it's not going to be a normal season. It, it, it's going to be very different than any other season that we've had. And everyone is going to have to be prepared to to adapt to, to things that might happen to, to to you're going to have to be willing to accept things that you know you'd hate to see in a normal season and you know obviously there's certain things that you can't accept you know you you can't accept just just putting players completely in harm's way with no no sake for their health that's not what I'm talking about but you're going to have to accept certain things you know, from a competitive standpoint, from a fairness standpoint, that, you know, maybe would be a bigger deal in other years, where, where this year, it, things probably aren't going to be fair for anybody. You're just going to have to roll off the punches and hope for the best. Well, you mentioned the coaches a little bit ago. I mean, today, as we sit here, we've seen a bunch of NFL players opt out of playing this season. Like, would you imagine coaches would, would sit out across the country considering, I mean, you can just look at Ohio State staff. I mean, it's not a secret that, that Larry Johnson and Greg Madison are older, or would you sequester them by themselves in the booth? I don't really know. Um, would, how many players would sit out? There would absolutely be players sitting out. I just don't know how many. Um, is there any consideration at all to, to doing some sort of <laughs> bubble-type deal? I mean, it sounds absurd. I, I think the answer is no, but... You have to put everything on the table. I, I don't know. I mean, there's just there's there's too many questions to answer. I think that the thing, the overriding thing to me right now, is that we just don't even know anything at all, and it's the end of July. I mean, that tells you as much as anything else. Like you said, right now we'd be right into previewing the season. Big Ten media days would have already happened. They'd be moving to their hotels, um, it, 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 and and instead we're just talking about the de- the, the the baseline details of what a season might look like. And I think that that's just where I am just incredibly skeptical. I mean, we, we really don't know anything. Um, I know we have, a, we have a few questions about these that we should probably get into. Do you want to 
Do you want to start those, or are there any any other points you wanted to make? Well, I was just going to say, I think the wild juxtaposition is that uh, the team is expected to start fall camp next Friday, and yeah. we're still, at, you know, so I feel like, I want to say I feel like there has to be clarity in the next week before fall camp, but how many times have I said on this show, I feel like there has to be clarity by next week, and then it, we just don't get it. I mean, we we got the non-conference games, but you know, I, it, it it we definitely are at the point where it's it it just seems like everyone wants to wait until the absolute last minute to have to make a decision, and and I get that. You know, I, I think it, it, the reality is this is such a volatile situation, and things change so rapidly that it does make sense to wait to make a decision until you have to make it, but. Boy, you, you, if it, I gotta think you you really gotta make those decisions soon because uh, the season we, we don't know exactly when the Big Ten season would start. I think the goal is most likely to start it uh, on September fifth uh, when the season was regularly supposed to start, but we don't know that. You know, they could push it back. I mean, some teams are going to even play Week Zero and play uh, August twenty nine, so that could still be a possibility on the table. But I think the Big Ten and all these conferences have got to got to at least make a decision pretty soon on okay if we play this is what our schedule is going to look like. You would hope, you would certainly hope. Um, we have a few questions, like I mentioned. The first one from N.W. Buckeye. He asks, he or she asks, could there be a gathering problem if we have a, if we have football this fall? Dewine has recently been calling out large parties as problems in the fight against COVID. Most likely, there will be no stands in the fan or fans in the stands during games because of the uptick in cases across the country. Given the way that fans like to get together in groups, has the Big Ten considered what might happen during the season if fans don't follow social distancing pr- procedures when watching games? And is this even something they should consider? Dan, what's your what's your thought on that? Well, I'll start with the second one, and I'm going to say no because I, I don't think the Big Ten can be worrying about what fans are going to do in their homes. I mean, I mean, there's people uh, doing things they shouldn't be doing and have been doing them for four months. And I, I, I don't think, I don't think whether the football season happens or not, I, I don't think is going to have a major impact on how people behave in their lives away from the stadium. I think for the Big Ten, I think their focus needs to be pretty much 100% on the athletes and the staff, you know, coaches, staff, anyone who's working games. Their focus needs to be completely on can we play football, can we play other sports, and keep those athletes and and people who are directly involved with the sport happening safe. And if the answer is yes, then they should play because you certainly don't want to take an opportunity away from an athlete because you're worried that Ohio State football fans are going to throw house parties. <laughs> you know, so I, uh, I, 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 I don't think that's really any consideration there. Certainly in regards to the gatherings, in regards to, to fans, uh, that's certainly going to be a consideration. Uh, you know, Mike DeWine talked on Tuesday. He was asked about Ohio State's uh, goal of having 20% capacity and and it was pretty clear from his answer that you know if if the season was starting right now he probably wouldn't sign off on it uh maybe in a month from now he will but uh, he wouldn't be ready to sign off on that right now ohio state has already said 
you know, no tailgating at games if there are fans this year. So, uh, you know, they're not going to allow uh, big congregations of people outside the stadium. But is it realistic to think that people aren't going to congregate in their homes? Uh, it's probably not realistic to, to think that everyone's going to do that. But I, I just don't think... I think if there's no football and people are bored with nothing to do, that stuff's going to happen anyway. Yeah, I mean, no, you, you can't worry about that if you're making the decision of whether or not to play football. If it happens, it happens, but the goal is to, to play football. Um, now, the point I'll make as well, and it's not really 100% related to this question, but if we're going to talk about you know fans being together in groups, I might as well bring this up because I, I think the 20% thing is – it's interesting, and, and if you, you know, it's an out, it's, it'll be outdoors. Hypothetically, there'll be some stri- fairly strict restrictions about, you know, what you are allowed to do, where you're allowed to go, and, and all of that within the concourse, at your seat, everything. But I will make note of this. Like, it's, it's easy to put in the guidelines, but I was just at, what was that, uh, two weeks ago at an AAU event, in Indianapolis, and you know they they had temperature checks at the front. They had they they had X's where you're supposed to sit to be socially distant from people. They had ma- a mask requirement for every single person who came in there. But like, people are people. Like I, the amount of masks I saw that were below mouth and noses or just hanging from the air, like there were it was no small amount and. You know, people were sitting beside each other that, that weren't, you know, within their family or they'd been quarantined with. Like, it's easy to put in these restrictions, and I think that there, who knows, there could be a way to do it safely with fans. But humans are humans, and, and I just think once, I think the idea is probably a little bit easier um, than actual reality when it comes to that, if that makes sense. Yeah, let's be realistic here. A lot of this is about liability, and it's a lot easier. Yeah, it's a lot easier to monitor. That's why why tailgating. Oh, (laughs) we managed to do that twice, didn't we? I was just going to say quickly. That's why Ohio State banned tailgating. But you know, I mean, if you're going to tailgate in your driveway, it's not like they can stop you. Yeah, and 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 you know, I think you know, just in fans in general. You know, there's a lot more liability that concerns that come into play. You know, once now, I, I would imagine, you know, if fans come to games, there's going to be some kind of, you know, waiver language and purchasing tickets or whatever that they're probably going to have to sign. Uh, I know the NFL is doing that, so I would imagine, you know, Ohio State would do the same in terms of some kind of waiver language of, you know, you accept your risk of contracting COVID if you come to a game, but it, it still adds a whole other variable in there. Uh, it's harder to manage than you know coaches and or, or I should say athletes and employees, uh, even media. Uh, I think you know adding adding just fans. I think that adds a different level. At the same time, it's also about money. So if Ohio State can get twenty thousand fans in there, I mean they're going to take a big loss as it is by not having the other eighty thousand. But if Ohio State can safely get twenty thousand fans in the stands. If Ohio State feels confident in its plan and it can get approval from the governor, then it's going to do it. Uh, but there's challenges there, which is why, uh, yeah, 20% is the hope at this point, but uh, that's definitely still up in the air. We have another question from 
Biah. Did I nail that name? I think, yeah, I think that's a Howard Dean reference there, I'm guessing. If you were on the team, would you play this fall given the current circumstances? Would you need more safety precautions beyond those already proposed? Or maybe the opposite, the, thre- the threshold needs to be relaxed a little bit so that one case doesn't potentially bring down a season. Well, I love this question, first of all. So that's a, that's a, that's a good question. I love this question. Um, obviously, for me, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but you guys could probably guess that I wasn't a college football star. Um, you know, I, I my highest level of competing in sports is high school track. So uh, there's pro- so I can't totally speak for being a college football player, but I would say that if it was me, would I want to play this fall? Yeah, I'd want to play this fall, but it, 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 because you put in so much work. You know, if you're a an athlete, and especially at a school like Ohio State, you're putting in so much work all off season, getting ready for this season, that you know you, you want to play. And I know at least my mentality is, I I, I would be willing to take the risk. To, to, to play. At the same time, you know, I want to make it clear that I totally understand why we're seeing a lot of athletes opt out. I, I think we will see the same thing at the college level if it, if it gets to that point. I think we, you know, I, I, I would imagine, you know, I haven't, I haven't heard anything as of now about any Ohio State football player who doesn't intend to play, but I would, you know, I would imagine that you know, if it gets to the point of actually playing, we could. It's certainly possible that you know we could see, you know, players decide that they don't want to play, and I would not blame any one of them if they if they made that decision because, you know, this is a serious deal. It's it's kind of an unprecedented deal that we still don't know exactly how serious it is, and you know the different ramifications that you know potential long-lasting effects of catching it. So I totally would understand if. Uh, you know, someone doesn't want to play. But to me, I think if I was in their shoes, I definitely think I would want to play. Yeah, I think it's really tough to put yourself in, in their shoes because this is such a different life than the life I've lived. Like, all, like I don't, I don't want to say all, but you might as well say all. Like, all of these players either want to or think that they're going to end up in the NFL. And to get to the NFL, you have to play college football games. And there's only so many that you get a chance to play. And it's better to play them when you're young because your draft stock is is higher the younger you are. And um, I think if I were in their position, I think it would be really hard to pass up. Like, I know me personally, if I was in high school right now, I mean, one, I don't know that it would 100% be my decision because I'm living under my parents' roof. But that's the reason why I don't think I would play. And I know that there are people out there who would probably think that that's crazy. Um, but I would be living with my parents, and I would probably be too nervous to, to bring that home. But if I'm in college, and my entire goal of being at Ohio State right now is to go to the NFL, um, and, and yes, sure, all these academic things, preparing you for real life, great. That's awesome. That's the reason why some people pick to, to go to Ohio State. But the real reason everybody's there is to go to the NFL. And if these are the opportunities that, that, that you know, the, if these are the risks that I have to take to get to the NFL, I, I think I would probably do it. But I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable with it. Um, in fact, I would probably feel very uncomfortable with it. But at the same time, um, you train 
for two decades to get to this point and you know you've been looking forward to playing at this level and all of a sudden you know it's it's up to you whether you want to do it or whether you want to wait and I think that I would probably go through with it um but like I said it's just so hard to to put myself in that shoes because I mean my football career ended when I was 18 years old in high school (laughs) I think given your answer, you'd be better to answer the second part of a question. Is is there something that you look at that if you were in a player's shoes right now, uh, safety precautions beyond what have already been proposed that you would need to see to feel more comfortable playing? I think it's – I think – I think part of the reason why I would feel a little bit more comfortable is um, because in this hypothetical scenario, if people are on campus, then Ohio State would be, you know, under at least under the impression that it's safe enough to have students taking in-person classes. And I think the way that I would view it, at least in my opinion, is that if it's safe enough to do that then the safety precautions taken on the football field you know the the it's not like it's not like that's putting me in a significantly more risky position than than simply you know being around a bunch of other students at class um i think that i think that's probably how i would rationalize it i think the i think the part of that, that I would think about is the older people and who could be getting it. So I am personally, I'm just, I'm fascinated and interested to see what Ohio State and what the Big Ten and what the NCAA does about coaches and, and them. Because yes, uh, I, player younger people are, are less likely to die, as we know. But there are a lot of older people involved in this sport and and they don't just get talked about that much because there are 85 players on every single team who, who, who get the brunt of the conversation but I would be fascinated to and, and interested to know what's the plan for them and, and how are they able to, to remain socially distant and safe um, because in this scenario where I'm suddenly a, a five-star player which just you know, Dan, extremely re- unrealistic. Um, I would, I would probably still feel pretty confident in myself and safe, and you know, feeling like I would be willing to take that risk. But I would also be nervous about either transmitting it to someone who who would be, you know, in a riskier position, or um, you know, being around other people in a in a position where they can get it. And you know, I thought that <laughs> I thought that it was unsafe at the time. Yeah, and I think that's a good point you, you make about that risk of transmitting other people. I, I keep thinking back to when we talked to Josh Myers, which was the only time in four months we've talked to any Ohio State football players, but we talked to Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, and I keep thinking about uh, what he said about, you know, he you know he would do anything to play, but his biggest fear would, would be transmitting it to someone in his family and them getting sick so he said you know he said I, I'd feel more comfortable being back on campus because then at least you know I would be separate from them and I wouldn't be at that risk of transmitting it to them so I do think that it's a big consideration here I know when I when I, my answer you know was just thinking about that you know being away at college not being around family just kind of being separate from that I think that does you know make it in a somewhat easier consideration. I, I'm not saying easy, but I just think it takes one level away because I think if you look at the pro athletes who have opted out, many of them 
have made that decision because they have young kids or they have some other family situation that, you know, so, you know, if it's not them who's at higher risk, then somebody else in their family could potentially be at higher risk and they don't want to take that risk to put their family in that situation. So I do think, you know, for for anyone who might have some kind of family situation that we might not even know about, you know that that could be a that could be a tougher conversation for them uh, if if they have you know a family situation that they could be worried about transmitting it to someone else close to them. Yeah, there's an understanding every time you go on the field as a, as a football player that something bad might happen to you and that something could happen to your body that really messes you up, and I think that that's a risk that. You know, you go into every single practice or every single game knowing in the back of your head, even if you don't really think about it all the time. The difference right here is that this isn't necessarily you taking the risk. This is you taking the risk and then passing it along to someone else. I think that that's the part that's a little bit scary. Um, and, and that's and that's obviously the part that's scary because I think that that's the, that's the aspect of this that just makes it so difficult for everyone to deal with. On a lighter note, but I did include it in this section because it is related to all of this, Bia also asked us about, I don't even know if they do this anymore, but will quick cows at 20% stadium capacity be the saddest thing to happen in the stadium this year? I mean, I think quick cows are kind of sad already, if I'm being completely honest. But I have n- I have no idea if they will still do them this year. That is probably about, uh, you know, 900 or something on the list of, of questions that I have right now about uh, a potential Ohio State football season, but I, I would imagine those m- might go away. Uh, I mean, if they unless this, they feel like it's important for the team to do them for whatever reason, but uh, there's going to be a lot of it. I mean, there's, I mean, we talk about considerations. I mean, you think about the band and the, the cheerleaders, and I mean, there's just so many different considerations. There's so many things that are going to look different about this Ohio State football season if it actually happens. And I think we're all at the point now that we just want to see football and we'll accept whatever comes with it. But there's just going to be so many things this year that are going to look different. Quick call, quick cows is not going to happen, and this is the easy way to slide that thing into retirement. That's my take. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think too many people would be heartbroken about that. I think people will be disappointed about no skull session this year. I think that's that's unfortunate, uh, probably the right decision, but uh, I think that will definitely be a, a missed game day tradition. A couple questions from Jonglor8287. First, do you think the COVID situation will affect the Big Ten championship games in terms of even having it? I don't know. <laughs> Again, it's one of those things. It's like there's just so many questions. Uh, my, my feeling is if they can get through a regular season, then they can probably have a Big Ten championship game. Uh, you know, it, it's just one of those things. It's Did they get to that point? You know, I mean, I, I, you know, as I think if all the Big Ten teams are following the same protocol – and you've got good protocol in place in Indianapolis. I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be able to have a Big Ten championship game. Uh, it's just a matter of where they can get to that point. Yeah, and there's no reason to schedule out that far. I mean, if they get it, great. But, I mean, as we all know, the reason that they removed the non-conference games was to increase the ability to, to, to you know, be flexible with your scheduling. 
and you don't necessarily want to lock that in right now. Um, and I mean, who knows? Could it happen in Indianapolis? Could it happen, you know, at someone's stadium? If that's safer, I don't really know. I mean, I think all things are on the table, as I as I've said before. So. It, will it affect it? Yeah, it'll absolutely affect it. I just think that it's too early when we don't even know what the schedule will look like to figure out if there will be a Big Ten championship game. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think I, I think you can ten. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna plan on having a season, then I think you can tentatively plan on having a Big Ten championship game too. I don't think that should be your top priority at this point, but I think you can tentatively plan on having a Big Ten championship game. I think. You were talking about another conference game in a controlled environment. I, I think that's a manageable situation that if you're able to get through a regular season, you could probably do a Big Ten championship game too. His other question is, are you pro or anti crowd noise at stadiums? Um, and then he asks, you know, at I guess he wants to know if, if um, in home games are you pro or anti that as well? You know, I, I don't know until I actually see it. I mean, I don't know that I really have a strong opinion on that. Um, you know, I I think, you know, it's going to be weird. If there's, if, if you know, I, and I think the big thing that sticks out to me is if there's no crowd noise, you're just going to hear so much more uh, of the interactions between players and coaches and all that and, I think that could be viewed as both a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, I think it could be uh, fascinating for, you know, the viewers at home to you kind of hear a lot of those things that maybe, you know, like I, I remember watching some, like, UFC fights. And I know you're a you big UFC guy, Colin. Like, you can hear, like, the corners talking to the fighters, and sometimes you can even hear them trash-talking each other. Like, you just don't usually hear that because – of the natural crowd noise. So, like, I think that's kind of fascinating. At the same time, I think that's another adjustment you're going to have to make if you're a team. Uh, if there's no crowd noise, is, uh, you're going to have to come up with, you know, even more signals and stuff like that so that teams can't pick up on everything you're saying. So, uh, I, I think it would be an interesting change, but, you know, I don't know that it would be bad to, to not have crowd noise for a year. I, yeah, I think it totally differs by sport. Like you, you mentioned UFC. I think UFC without crowd noise right now is great. I really do. Um, I think, like you said, it offers a chance to, to get to hear things that you normally wouldn't. And it's awesome if there's a great knockout and you know the crowd goes crazy. But you don't, as we've seen, you don't necessarily need that for it to still feel like a great moment. Um, I think in baseball right now, I don't know. I'm not really all in on the crowd noise. I think the crowd noise is fine if it's just really low and it's just sort of the natural, you know, the natural hum of a of a of a regular season baseball game. I think that's okay. But anything louder than that in baseball, I think, is weird. And maybe that's just me watching too many Cleveland Indians games that have 12,000 people in the stands. Um, but that's where I stand. But then, you know, like hockey games, I think it's okay to to have. A little bit of fans, it, it, fan noise. It seemed, um, and 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 what I've you know seen. I don't know. I, I I think for football, I lean towards no crowd noise. I think it'd be cooler not to just not to have the crowd noise. Um, one, yeah, would allow us to hear a little bit more that goes on the goes on on the field. But I also think that that the crowd noise. Wouldn't necessarily the, the or, or the lack of crowd noise wouldn't necessarily take away from the viewers' experience, but I will say that I 
if I had to make a prediction, I think that, that television producers would think the opposite of what I do, and I bet that there is some sort of crowd noise implemented if there are no fans in the stands. Yeah, like, I mean, if like Fox is already experimenting with this kind of stuff with baseball, they'd probably bring it into their college football broadcast too. Uh, I, I, I guess we'll see. You know, and, you know, I mean, I'm interested to just see like you know if, if if these schools do anything creative with that. I mean, I. I don't think it's a tough priority right now, but like you know, if, if you don't have fans in the shoe, I mean, I don't know. Can you, you know, if a band's still there, can they be, you know, distance throughout the stadium and maybe they're playing music the whole game? I mean, shoot, you got your DJ booth from last year. Maybe you can have the DJ playing playing some music. I, I don't know. I mean, I think everybody's got to everybody's got to be creative with this. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see if you know, especially if a college level of games happen, if maybe some of these colleges get creative and come up with some different ways to kind of manufacture an environment that's not natural packed crowds yeah i i don't i don't actually think there's an easy answer to it um at all but and i think i think also it's going to be one of those things that everybody has an opinion on and no one agrees on (laughs) and realist and realistically at this point because of all the other questions we talked about before i think that's pretty low on the priority list at this point because i think Right now, it, it, it's all about, you know, can can there be a season? Can there be fans in the stands? I think that's one of those things that, you know, if, if we're talking about playing games with no fans, that's one of those things that's probably going to be figured out at the last minute because there are more important issues to worry about right now. Yeah, the caveat I'd make is that all of, all of these conversations about whether there will be football or not is about 12 days, or I guess maybe 10 days in the fall, and crowd noise or no crowd noise for fans watching it's actually a fairly big deal if we actually you know talk about that because i mean all of these conversations are about three and a half hour periods um once a week in the fall and you know crowd noise is as we know obviously a factor so i think that i I do think it'll it's a little bit of an interesting decision i wonder if you know, different net TV networks will make different decisions and, and how that'll affect things, too. We we spend more time talking about Ohio State football on this podcast over the course of a year than Ohio State actually plays games. So uh, that's kind of the nature of sports is uh, a lot, a lot of time spent talking about things that actually happen in a pretty short interval. That is, that is very true. Um, do you have a good transition to Jordan Hancock, Dan? Sometimes you're a transition guy, so was there something that... I hadn't thought of one there. I was leaving it up to you if you, you had anything uh, to set it up. But uh, I, you know, I, that, I think that would be in terms of not uh, COVID-related stuff. I think that would be the biggest news that we've had on the football front here in a few weeks. And that being... Uh, Jordan Hancock. This this happened last last week before we would have had a podcast, but since we didn't have a pod last week, uh, we'll talk about it now. Ohio State flipping Jordan Hancock from Clemson, number seventy six overall prospect, number five cornerback in the class of twenty twenty one. And of, of course, I mean the headline here to me is stealing a recruit away from Clemson because you just don't see players decommit from Clemson very often. And I think, you know, this was a unique situation where I think Ohio State had been Jordan Hancock's top choice uh, for a long time. I I think, you know, Hancock, at the time he committed to Clemson, you know, maybe decided a little bit 
too fast and I think over time realized that Ohio State was the place he wanted to be at and so he ultimately felt that pull to make his decision but still to, to steal a recruit away from Clemson especially with you know the history against Clemson in recent years and, and how much they've been battling on the recruiting trail as teams uh, this offseason and that's a big move for the Buckeyes. The other thing I'd say is Kerry Combs is a freaking wizard. I mean, I remember having conversations over the past few months about about where they are with their cornerbacks and the fact that they just hadn't been able to get certain recruiting momentum necessary um, to land some of those top-end cornerbacks and, and classes just because the nature of having a guy leave for three off-seasons in a row who coaches and recruits cornerbacks, that doesn't lend itself to landing big-time cornerbacks. And I imagined that Kerry Combs would put together a stellar 2021 defensive back recruiting class, but maybe if he was going to land some studs, they would come in the class afterward, in the 2022 class. And if you look at them like this, it's not like Jordan Hancock when he combines with Ja'Kalen Johnson, they don't have the ranking that, that Jeff Okuda and Sean Wade did. They're not, neither of them are five stars, and both both Sean Wade and Jeff Okuda were five stars, and I think that that's at least worth noting. But if we're talking about the priority list for Kerry Combs, it was getting these top 100, top 50 cornerbacks to come play for Ohio State and, and to develop them and, and, and reload this room with the best high school cornerback talent in the nation and I thought he might need a little bit more time and then I realized uh, what a week or two ago that I should probably just not doubt Kerry Combs ever on the recruiting trail yeah and again I mean we've talked about this several times you've gone back to the five star thing with the corners but there's only two five star corners in the class They, they have the number three and the number five cornerbacks. Now, Tony Grimes was in that five-star conversation, but he's now reclassified to 2020. So Ohio State now has the number three and the number five cornerbacks in the class of 2021. And and, and quite frankly, I mean, I don't think I don't think I'm, you know, being a revisionist here. I, I, my understanding is those two were pretty much Ohio State's top targets at the cornerback position in this class. So. To get the number three and the number five cornerback in the class to, to headline uh, your class of defensive backs, I don't think you can really ask for much more than that. No, and the reason I keep going back to the five-star thing is because when I'm talking about that, I'm looking for the Jeff Okuda, the Chase Young, the guys, the, the, the Sean Waite, the guys who are going to go top five, top ten in an NFL draft and be All-Americans for you. And that's when, when Ohio State goes up and they grab five-stars – they have a pretty high hit rate on them and, and turning them into to what they can be and maximizing their potential. So that's when I talk about five stars, that is the reason why I'm talking about them. And sure, yeah, like you like you made the point, these guys, they're not necessarily five stars, but they are top five cornerbacks. So I don't necessarily know if they're going to be those three and done guys that, you know, both Sean Wade and Jeff Okuda could have been. Um, but I know that the that, that you know, since they were on the top of Jeff Halfley's board and Gary Combs' board, <laughs> these guys are about as good as Ohio State can do in the class, and, and they obviously deserve to be commended for that. Yeah, and I think the point I'm trying to make is, if you look at the class of 2021, there isn't a Jeff Okuda in this class. There might not even be a Sean Wade in this class. Those guys don't come around 
every single year. So, I mean, I mean, Jeff Okuda went number three in the NFL draft. Cornerbacks don't usually go number three in the NFL draft. So the reality is you're not going to get that guy every year because sometimes that guy doesn't even exist, at least not as a recruit. So I think the two guys they've got uh, in Kalen Johnson and Jordan Hancock, I don't think you can ask for much more than that. And I completely agree with that. We, we talk about adding Hancock to the class. That establishes Ohio State even further as that number one team in the class. We are starting to see Alabama catch up a little bit uh, in, the, in the team rankings. They're, they're on an absolute roll. Uh, 15 commitments since April. Now a clear number two. And they're now within striking distance where if, if they finish strong here in, in this class... Uh, you know they're they're not out of a running now to potentially catch Ohio State, but of course we know that Ohio State still has some major targets out there on the board. You know I think there's really five guys that I think are still really major targets for Ohio State. That being JT Tuamolowau, defensive lineman from Washington, uh, Mecca Egbuka, also uh, from Washington, wide receiver, uh, Tristan Lee, offensive tackle from Virginia, who just recently included Ohio State in his top five. Uh, Derek Davis Jr., uh, safety from Pennsylvania, and then uh, Tywone Malone, uh, nose tackle from New Jersey, uh, which is a big position of need for them. So I think those are really the five guys that are very clearly at the top of Ohio State's board at this point. What's your feeling, Colin? How many of those guys are the Buckeyes going to end up with? I think it's really hard to tell right now if you don't know whether they're going to be visits or not. And if we're I think right now it's fair to sort of play in the scenario where there at least aren't visits till the end of the year and and whether that means that there's no early signing period or there is I think that could change things um, but the guys who I think that they're ne- that it feels like right now they're in the be- best position for are Mecca Egbuka and, and Taiwan Malone and then JT Tuimolawau how do I do that with that Dan? I think better than you've done in the past I think well, that, you know, I'm going to chalk that up as a win, even though, you know, if we're being objective, it probably wasn't. But it feels like right now, at least, those are the guys they're best positioned for. Um, they would love to add Tristan Lee. It doesn't seem like, it seems like they're playing from behind there. And then Derek Davis, it seems like Penn State either might be leading a little bit or um, it's around 50-50. I know Zach Carpenter, our recruiting guy, is going to go ahead out there and, and get the latest on him. Um, and within the next week, but I think right now it, it's interesting because they're so they're so clearly the top targets, and it's just sort of a waiting period right now. Um, and I think a lot of that is to determine if they can even really take visits. Yeah, and I think you know that that's a challenge a little bit because I I do think you know they're all kind of now in that boat where their recruitments could drag on. I, actually, I think one, one guy I didn't mention who probably belongs on that list, too, is uh, Jacob Burton from uh, Kentucky, yes. offensive lineman. He's another guy as well that I, I forgot, but he, he belongs on that list as well as another guy who's a top target. But you're kind of waiting on these guys, waiting out this uncertainty. Like you said, I, I, I'd i be pretty surprised, honestly, if, if they're able to have at least you know full-blown visits that we're used to this fall. I mean, if, if I mean, I, I don't think you're gonna have people standing around on the sidelines before games this year like you typically do. So I, I don't know that you know official visits are gonna be a thing. 
uh, for guys this fall. And so, you know, that that is going to make it challenging for these guys who are trying to make decisions that, that, you know, aren't quite there yet. You know, I think we've saw a lot of momentum for Ohio State, you know, early after the pandemic. You know, because of that, because I think a lot of guys just realize, well, I'm not going to be able to visit for a while. I know I want to go to Ohio State. I might as well just do it. But I think all those guys we just mentioned, none of them are at a point right now where they're real confident if they want to go to one school. They're all kind of at that point where they want to be able to visit and they want to be able to really go through that process. And, you know, that process could still uh, potentially take a while. And it, it might, they might not get a chance to, to do the stuff that they want to do before they have to sign. So it's going to be interesting to see how timetables play out if it ultimately becomes clear that they just might not be able to visit at all. But it's an interesting spot for Ohio State because, I mean, again, you look at the class they already have, uh, even if they just signed the guys they already had, it would be, it, it, it's going to be a, a, a phenomenal class for Ohio State. So it's not like Ohio State needs to do a lot more to have a successful recruiting class of 2021. But you know they do they do still have you know five or six you know guys that they would really like to add to this class and I'm not sure there's a ton of Plan B options at this point like I think they're kind of at the point now where you know they're in a they're in such a good position that they can afford to really just chase after the big fish that they want and I think that's kind of what they're doing and, and I'll be interested to see. If some of these guys go elsewhere, if we see any other targets emerge late that aren't really being talked about, because it seems to me like those are kind of the only guys that are being talked about at this point, because Ohio State just doesn't have a lot of spots left. But, you know, my feeling is, like, I think, you know, maybe two or three of those guys end up at Ohio State. I don't think any of those guys are at a point where you can really feel, like, really, really confident they're going to end up at Ohio State. But I think Ohio State's also legitimately in the running for all of them. So I'm going to guess that probably two or three of those guys end up with the Buckeyes and three or four of them end up elsewhere. I think that's very fair. Um, if we're going to talk about recruiting, Dan, should we mention basketball for three minutes? Colin is very excited to talk about Ohio State basketball recruiting. And the Buckeyes did land a, a, a very big commit last week in Malachi Branham, uh, the 10th highest rated commit in the modern recruiting era for Ohio State, the number one ranked prospect from the state of Ohio, uh, from LeBron James's alma mater, St. Vincent St. Mary in Akron, and certainly a guy who was you know, one of the top targets in this class, if not the top target from the beginning. And so this is a big deal for Chris Holtman uh, to lock up that commitment. Yeah, you can drop the one up. He was their number one guy for over a year. I mean, if you wanted to, I, I don't really necessarily know if if you wanted to say that Michi Johnson was for a couple months their top 2022 target, but he obviously committed pretty early. It was nearly a year ago at this point, actually. Uh, but Malachi Branham for so, so long has been the number one guy there. And if we really look at what, what it was like, you know, Ohio State recruiting that sort of shooting guard, off guard, combo guard position um, while having Kayla Netzler and Michi Johnson committed, they were so in on Malachi Branham that it was costing them a little bit of momentum with other guys. They weren't necessarily in the ball game with 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 other recruits in that class who would fill that spot. And that was a little bit by design just because they wanted to show Malachi just how much they just how much he meant to them because in reality he meant a ton to them i mean he's the top guy in ohio 
he fits everything that you really wanted in that position because he's a high-level scorer who can play both on the ball and off the ball. He's a guy who is, you know, everybody around him, it seems like, you know, feels like he's a high-character guy. I know Ohio State really likes him as a person and what he is. Um, it, he's certainly far from a, from a diva of uh, that kind of personality, even though he's the number 27 player in the country. He's a guy who they've been on for nearly three years. They offered him a scholarship in May of 2019, and he's been at the top of their board, and this is a big recruiting win. It's not necessarily that they went up against Duke and Kentucky and beat them out, but they got their uh, they got a top 30 overall player in the country who was the top player from their state, and they did have to fend off some, some good teams. I know Michigan State was in on him a little bit. At the end, it came down to Alabama. You know, Xavier was in on him hard at the end. Um, Baylor was in on him a little bit. Louisville as well, and you know those are those are some that that's some tough competition. But if you're Ohio State and you want to lock down Ohio, getting the number one player in the in, in the state who grew up in Columbus that's that's a good way to start it. But also, like he's the fourth guy in a row who's committed to Ohio, or he's the fourth commit right now um, across both 21 and 22 who's from Ohio. Um, I think that that's a little interesting subplot as well. But, Dan, obviously I like covering Ohio State basketball, Ohio State basketball recruiting. What do you think are the, are the important things that you know, we should mention here? Well, I've, you know, I think it's worth mentioning now that you talk about locking down Ohio. Ohio State now has the number one, number two, and number three recruits from the state of Ohio in the class of 2021, those being Malachi Branham, Michi Johnson, Kalen Etzler, all ranked in the top 90 prospects in the country. So uh, I think you, you look at that as the start of a class. I, I, I think that's exactly what you want to see uh, from Chris Holtman. The class is currently ranked number three in the country nationally. So off to a really good start. I do know though that they're not quite done yet. I know that they still are looking to add a center as well to round out this class. Who are the guys you think, Colin, who are most likely to fill that spot? Yeah, I mean, the tough thing right now is since I'm writing about hockey, I can't necessarily delve into this as much as I would like to um, on, the, on the website. But the guy that everybody should know right now is Efton Reed. Um, and I think that if you're looking at what Chris Holtman has done as a recruiter, you've seen him go out and land EJ Liddell, um, go out and land DJ Carton, essentially beat Midwest powers um, for, for high-end four-star players that were, that were you know, coveted by the Michigans, Indianas, Illinois, uh, Louisvilles of the world. Um, you've seen him lock down the state of Ohio because that's really what he's done the last few cycles. Uh, you've seen him get DJ Carton, who, yes, obviously that didn't end the way you wanted it to, but he was a top-end point guard. He was a five-star at one time. What you really haven't necessarily seen yet is him go out and land a big-time big man, and that's what Efton Reed is. He's a five-star um, who is from the, the Washington, D.C., Richmond, Virginia area. He played um, for Stewart School in, in Richmond and graduated from there. And, you know, the plan is for him to go to IMG Academy down in Florida and spend a post-grad season there. And provided he doesn't reclassify to 2020, which there's still a lingering possibility of that happening, I really think Ohio State's in a better position for him than people realize. If they're not the leader, I would say that they're, that they're one of the, the, 
you know, the frontline contenders for him. And, and it, you know, it's an interesting group of schools. I know Michigan's in the mix. Uh, Virginia's in the mix. Louisville's in the mix. There's, there, there's a couple interesting schools there. But, you know, if you're talking about uh, Efton Reed, he is a five-star big man. He's a seven-foot big man. He's someone who can come in and, and, and immediately impact um, games for Ohio State. And if you added him to a class with Michi, Malachi, and, and Kalen Etzler, I mean, that would be that would be the best class that Chris Holman has landed yet. And it seems like, I, I think we talked about this the last time Ohio State got a commitment Bowen Hardman, but it seems like all of these guys fit the mold that Chris Holtman's looking for in terms of the type of guys who seem to be having success at Ohio State. And I think that's really important because I, I know there's people out there listening to this segment right now thinking, yeah, that's great, but how many of these guys are going to transfer? Uh, so I, it's really important. You know, I think we had talked about it before. You know, you, locking down the state is great. But maybe you take a guy like Alonzo Gaffney who just wasn't ever going to be a good fit for your program and you take him just because you feel like you had to. It seems, based on everything you've told me about these guys, that they all seem to be the type of guys that would be good fits for the program that Chris Holtman's trying to build. Yeah, this is one of the biggest points that I think I feel like I should make because I can't necessarily say this with certainty because in college basketball things change all the time and... Yeah, it's not like I've known all these guys their whole lives. But if you're looking at the guys that Chris Holtman brought in in the 2020 class as incoming freshmen, if you look at the guys he brought in as transfers, if you look at the four players he has committed right now, I'm just telling you, like, in general, the character of these guys, like the, 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 the willingness to work, the willingness to get developed, the the the, the you know, the desire to win and the desire to win at Ohio State is very high as a group. And I think that, like, if you want to be an optimist, this is something that you should point to. Because, yes, Eugene Brown and Zed Key, they're the two incoming freshmen. I don't think that, I mean, Chris Holtman has said it on our podcast, I think. He said they're not Greg Oden and Mike Conley. Fair point. But what they are is they're, you have Zed Key, who is, you know, Everyone who's, who's around him, Ohio State coaches included, have talked about you know the situation he comes from and the family he comes from being great. And I think when you look at Eugene Brown, like he played for his dad as a coach, he was a he was a 4.0 GPA guy. Um, if you look at what Malachi Branham and Michi Johnson and Kalen Etzler are right now, and Bowen Hardman as well, like these are all guys that people rave about as uh, them as them as people as as well as basketball players. And the same thing for a lot of the the, the transfers that they brought in as well. And I think that yes. Transferring will always be a part of college basketball. It's that's just inevitable. I mean, you have to imagine that there will be a transfer to a, you know, next spring. That's just the way that, that college basketball operates. But the goal right now for for Chris Holtman is to get guys into the program who are going to be there for three or four years and develop in the program, and that's what they have coming in. And I'll make this point too. I don't think Malachi Branham is a one and done. I really don't. I think he's a he's a two or three or, or even four year guy who's going to be around and impactful. Um, I think he's a he's a really good slasher. He's got a great mid range game. He's got an improving you know three point game. I know Ohio State likes his potential um, as a defender. Uh, his his wingspan is is about six ten or so. 
um, and you have that kind of frame that that's enticing. And I think eventually he will be an NBA player, but he's also going to be the kind of guy, in my mind, who's going to be a little bit of a slow build guy. Um, and he might not necessarily come in right away and average 15 points a game. I think he'll come in and play right away. Um, but I think that the way Ohio State's building his program right now with you know the, the type of person it's bringing in as well as the kind of player, I think that this is, this is exactly what Chris Holtman wants to do. And, and he has to feel pretty good about that. We started a series a few weeks ago, Free Things We Think. Uh, I haven't actually written anything down, so I'm just going to wing it. But uh, I'll, I'll let you start. Do you, you, do you have any, uh, a, num- a number one thing that you've been, uh, has been on your mind that for the last two weeks fits something that you're thinking about? Yeah, uh, since you know, I'll slow transition us out of basketball, as I know um, too much basketball talk for some people is uh, a little bit of a turnoff. I understand that, but I'll do a quick, quick one more nugget on basketball, just because you know this was a story um, a few days ago of Caleb Wesson participating in the NBA Combine. He got an invite, and you know, provided that actually happens, he'll participate. Um, I, I, the thing that I've been thinking about is I'm just, I'm intrigued by him as a role player in the NBA, just because I haven't seen him as a role player in, in, for, in so long. I mean, he's been the kind of guy the last two years, as he's steadily improved and changed who he is as a player, um, who Ohio State is just completely built around. In the NBA, it'll never be like that, even if he makes a team and and has a 10-year career. I couldn't imagine Caleb Weston being a 20-10 and guy in the NBA. I mean, it'd be awesome if you could prove me wrong, but I just don't see it. I think that he's – but I I do think he he could have a career as a role player. I really do. Because if you look at him as a, as a 6'9", I don't know, 250-pounder, 260-pounder, I think it's someone with, with that kind of frame um, who rebounds the way he does and, and, and shoots the way he does from three and also passes the way he does, I think that there's a way to fit him into the modern offense. And, and, and I will say as well, I don't think he's going to win any all-defensive player or any defensive player of the year awards, especially in the NBA. But he improved drastically as a defender this past year and was honestly pretty underrated in that respect. And I don't necessarily think that that directly translates to the NBA where the athleticism is at such a different level. But I'm intrigued by him as a role player, and that's something that I've been thinking about. Yeah, I agree with you on all of that. I I am intrigued to see what he does in the NBA because it it feels like any time anything's mentioned about his draft stock, I'll, I'll see people say, oh, he shouldn't have left. He's not going to play in pro But I, I think he could. I mean, I, I think he. I think he could. It, 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 I he, being an NFL draft guy, I always find the NBA draft so much more difficult to project. Just like who's going to actually go uh, into the NBA and actually have a successful career. But I, I, I do. I think Caleb has uh, some promising qualities. I think the way he expanded his game this past season, uh, becoming a better long-range shooter, uh, you know, showing that he can be more than just a back-to-the-basket post guy, uh, I, I do think those things are going to help him uh, in that transition to the NBA. So I, I'm fascinated to see you know, what, what he's able to do as well. What's your what's your first thing you've been thinking about? Well, uh, obviously we, we heard this past week uh, Sean Wade's parents in an interview with uh, First Coast News in Jacksonville, uh, you know, they they said that if if the football season is moved to spring, that Sean 
won't play, which you know I don't think comes as a big surprise if that's the case because I think Sean's a guy who's already in position to be a first-round draft pick next year, uh, and he might have more to lose than gain by playing a spring season. But I, I think that whole concept is very fascinating of uh, who all is going to opt out if if the season gets moved to spring. And I, and, I, and I think you definitely are going to see some. I mean, I think if you're a Justin Fields, a Trevor Lawrence, uh, you, you've got to strongly consider not playing a spring season. It's, it's probably not worth it because you're already uh, going to be a top pick. Uh, it's probably not worth the risk to play in the spring. But I also think that number of guys who can realistically go to, to play in the NFL right now and don't need another season, I think that number is smaller than a lot of people think. It It's probably bigger at Ohio State than it is at most schools. But I'll, I'll see some people say that, you know, none of the starters should, should play if there's a spring season. I don't think there's that many guys out there that are, are just clear-cut for sure NFL draft picks if they don't play another season. And I think... If you, if you were to have a spring season where some guys play and some guys don't, I mean, yeah, it's not going to hurt Justin Fields. It's not going to hurt Trevor Lawrence. It's, it's, I mean, Sean Wade could help himself by playing another season because he'd play that outside cornerback role, but he's still going to be a top pick regardless. But I think there's a lot of other guys. And, I mean, I just look at Ohio State. I mean, yeah, you've got your Justin Fields, Sean Wade. You could potentially put... Chris Olave and Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers into that group as well. And maybe there's a couple seniors who, who could fit into that group. But I don't think there's a ton. And I think there's a lot of guys in Ohio State who are going to be start, starters or play key roles this year. You know, I think of guys like Tommy Togiai and, and you know, Teron Vincent and Tyreek Smith and Seven Banks and Josh Proctor. Guys like that who... I think are future NFL players, but they can't go get drafted right now. They, they've got to go show something because they haven't played that much. So while I do think there will be some attrition if the season gets moved to spring, I don't think it's going to be such a drastic number that it's going to totally ruin the season if it's played in the spring. Yeah, I mean... We're in agreement. I'm going to look for some disagreement, Dan, but unfortunately we agree here. <laughs> I didn't know if you'd agree with me, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, no, I do. I do. I, I don't think that there's going to be a – I mean, you see some people saying, like, if I'm a sixth-round, seventh-round pick, then I would sit out. Uh, I think that's crazy. Uh, I wouldn't. I mean, we were asked yeah. before from my perspective, if I was a sixth or seventh-round pick and I thought playing another year could make me a second or third-round pick, I'd play. Yeah, if I was tough Borland, um, and I obviously it's it's hard to put names to this just because like you have no idea what other considerations they're playing. But if we're just going on who they are as draft prospects, like if I'm that kind of guy, I would play. But um, second thing I've been thinking about, um, yeah, it'd be nice to hear from this Ryan Day guy once in a while. Um, it's been a long time since we've heard from him, uh, and I and I listen, I get it, I get it. It's he doesn't necessarily want to put his face out in front of microphones right now and and delve into every single issue. But you know, having having seen Ryan Day for the past however many years three three years operate, um, I have pretty high confidence that he'd be able to sidestep any questions that were uncomfortable. But 
if I'm being honest, like I know you made this point and and you know in private uh, in what uh, a few days ago, like. I think the last time we saw him was when he was essentially going on a media tour to celebrate Ohio State's draft success. And we haven't really heard from him since. And I get it. Like I said, I do get it. Um, but, like, as the head coach of Ohio State, it'd be nice to hear from you um, during a pandemic before we hit August. Yeah, the last time we talked to him was the day after the NFL draft. So that's three months ago at this point and have not talked to him since. And I completely agree with you, of course. Uh, because, I mean, I mean, here's the thing. R- Ryan Day, I mean, first of all, he, he's an adult. And I, I know I, I, I asked Ohio State, and I know a lot of other reporters on the beat have also been asking Ohio State about when are we going to talk to Ryan Day and some players again. And, and, and the response that I got back, and I know some others got back too, is basically that, you know, Ohio State just doesn't want to put these guys in a situation to have to answer questions that they really can't answer yet. And I get that. I do get that. I, I, I definitely get it with the players. But Ryan Day, he's getting paid millions of dollars a year to be the face of the Ohio State football program. You could argue he's the most pro. I shouldn't even say you can argue. It, it It's true. He is the most prominent face of the university. And he hasn't I mean other than posting a couple videos to Twitter I mean we, we just really haven't even seen Ryan Day in, in in three months and it's actually in his contract media obligations are actually in his contract that it's part of the millions of dollars that he makes to, to meet with the media so yeah I mean I agree with you Colin I, I, I think we should have heard by from Ryan Day by now uh, I would hope with the team starting camp, you know, ne- next week, but I would hope we're going to hear from him soon because I do. I, I think as the as the face of the program, as a representative of a program, I I think that you know he, he he's he's more than capable of answering these questions. Ryan Day is not someone who typically sticks his foot in his mouth during interview sessions. He's he's very smart and he's very good at handling the media. So I I don't think he would say anything that would. Uh, get Ohio State in all kinds of trouble, so I, I think he can handle it just fine. And, and I do, I, I do think, you know, I, I, I don't want to be perceived as complaining or anything because I, I understand this is a, a difficult year. Uh, it's a difficult year, but I, I do think that as the head coach of the Ohio State football program, uh, sooner than later, I, I, I do think Ryan Day should be fielding some of those questions because, because honestly, in, in terms of the players, in, in, in terms of, you know anyone else in the program the sooner ryan day answers the, some of those questions the, the less that everyone else in the program is going to have to deal with it uh whereas if, if ryan day you know talks to the media for the first time on the same day as 10 other people then everyone's going to get those same questions yeah if ryan i mean listen this isn't this isn't media complaining about not being able to to talk to someone i mean I guess technically that's literally what it is, but it's not be it's not out of self-interest. I mean, like like we've said, I'm covering hockey right now. If Ryan Day talked tomorrow, I don't even necessarily know that I would write anything about it. Um, but I just think from the perspective of him being Ohio State's head coach, I guess he's not technically obligated to, to talk with us for these three or four months. 
but it would be nice to know what his thoughts are on some things. And and I and it does seem like in the in the time that he's been head coach, he doesn't really like to give his opinions on a lot of things. And I think maybe that's you know somewhat of, of the reason we haven't heard from him a lot. I mean, like you said, he doesn't put his foot in his mouth, and that's you know that's he does that intentionally. I know he has opinions on certain things. He doesn't necessarily like to share them, um, and I will be fascinated to see what it's like when he actually does get around to, to talking to the media. And heck, like when when I say he hasn't talked to, to us, like I don't think he's done any interview, has he? I cannot remember seeing any interview of Ryan Day since the day after the NFL draft. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I do not I do not believe he's done any interviews. If he has, they you know, maybe he's done interviews with ESPN or something that haven't been released yet. But as far as I know, he has not done any interviews in the last few months. And you know, and you mentioned the you know opinion thing. You know, for me, it's not even. I I don't think it's important for us to know what Ryan Day's opinion is yeah, necessarily on what these things are. I think it's important to know like what's his plan. Like what's his plan if he gets sick? Who's going to be the fill-in head coach? What's his plan? for handling these situations coming up for the season. Those are the questions that I want to be able to ask him because, honestly, a lot of them I feel uncomfortable speculating about without knowing what's going on. But the longer it goes without talking to him, you have no choice but to speculate because we're running out of time here and these questions come up. And so I, I, I think... You know, again, there's certain questions he, if he talked right now, he wouldn't be able to answer, and I think that would be completely understandable. But I, I do think uh, it would be good if we could start to get answers to, to some of these questions because there's going to be a lot of them. I, I know that because we haven't talked to him in three months. There's going to there's be a lot of questions uh, that we're all going to have uh, to ask Ryan Day whenever we do talk to him next. What's your st- second thing you've been thinking about? I think. I think it's going to be interesting to see here over the next couple of weeks in terms of the scheduling that, that conferences are doing that it feels more and more like even the Power Five conferences, if there's a season, that nobody's really going to be on the same page here and that, and that all these different conferences are going to do their own thing. And, you know, we've, we've seen the Big 12. It seems like they're all trying to do a 12-game schedule and they're trying to play in week zero. And, you know, we know the Big Ten's not doing a 12-game schedule. We think they're going to do a 10-game schedule. Pac-12 sounds like the same thing. But even then, like, you know, the, the Pac-12, I don't think they're planning to start until late September. Sounds like the ACC maybe won't start till September 12. You know, Big Ten... We think maybe they're looking to start September 5, but we don't know. So we could have kind of a, you know, I I think you typically think about everybody kind of gearing up toward the same start to the season. And I think this year we could have a very disjointed start where you could have, I mean, you could have teams starting three or four weeks before other teams. It's going to be very interesting. I mean, you you think about like the college football playoff race or the AP poll and all that. How are you going to compare, you know, let's just... Again, if we just assume for a second that things are actually able to go off without a hitch once they start, I mean, you could have Big 12 teams that have played four games and uh, the Pac-12 has played one. How are you going to compare these teams if, if they're playing completely different schedules? I don't know that I necessarily have a, a take on like what that should happen. I just think it's interesting. Uh, it's going to be really fascinating 
just to kind of see how the national conversation plays out about teams if they're all on different schedules from one another. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the impossible questions to answer that it's like, that's the one that you just throw down the road and are like, if we get to it, it would be great to even have the opportunity to answer it. But I have literally no idea. <laughs> that's the point we're at. And that's the point we're at where it's like we're a month away and we don't have a lot of answers. So at some point we just have to kind of ask the questions and just kind of think about them because uh, that's kind of where we're at right now in my opinion. Speaking of standstills, you know, you referenced it a little bit earlier. But I already had this written down, so I will mention it. Um, the 2021 class... In, in my opinion, like, whatever happens, it'll be an awesome class. There's no disputing it. If you look what Ohio State has done in this class, it's tremendous. It really is. But, like, if 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 they don't close on, I don't know, two, three, four of the of the remaining targets, it would feel a little bit disappointing, don't don't you imagine? I mean, the the re- the reason I say that is just when when you look at what Ohio State has spent the last few months doing and what they're going to spend the next few months doing, you're looking at six or yes, yeah, six guys right now. The six guys you mentioned earlier: Burton, J.T. Agbuka, Tristan Lee, Derek Davis, and, and Malone. Um, and like I said, if they don't land any of them, the class would still be awesome. There's no disputing that. But when you when you land all these um, commitments early with the idea that later on in the process you're going to go after big fish and land them. If that didn't happen, that'd be a little bit disappointing. So I do think that there's still a little bit more pressure on Ohio State to at least close on on some of these guys. Um, and I'll be, I, I am really, I'm really interested to watch how this plays out. Um, unfortunately, it would be nice if there were some answers soon, but it seems like we're going to be sitting here in four months talking about at least you know two three four of these these same guys yeah i think it's hard because i think the momentum was so high for a few months that it just creates these enormous expectations and you have you know all the talk about best class ever best class ever and so now that's the standard you're held to here is if this class isn't the best recruiting class ever some people are going to view it as a disappointment because that's the, you know, that's the place they were at. But, you know, I just kind of taking it from the other side, you know, I kind of look at it like I think Ohio State, the guys that they were really in good with, the guys that they, you know, really had a good chance to get, they did an incredible job of locking up those commitments early. And so I think they kind of put themselves in a position now to where – it's just going to be somewhat impossible to to keep that same momentum through the entire year because you, you see it like Alabama's got all the momentum right now, but that's because they had one commit in April, so they had to make up for lost time. And I think you know there's such a recency bias so much of a time that you just look at like who's the team that's got momentum. Uh, and it's real. I mean, you do, I think you do see it where commitments kind of breed commitments. I think we saw that happen at Ohio State for a while, and I think we're seeing it at Alabama now. So I'm not downplaying it in any way, but I think, you know, what Ohio State's already built has been fantastic. I mean, I agree with you. If, you know, if they go 0 for 6 on those guys, that would be a disappointment. But I think realistically, 
you know, I think if the expectation's any higher than 50% of those guys, I think that's probably an unrealistic expectation because I, just, I don't think any of those guys are in a position where they're a sure thing. And I think, you know, even if you land, I mean, let's just say you land three of those guys. And we're talking about uh, six guys who are all live or five stars or highly touted four stars. It's going to be one of the best classes ever if you can land three of those guys. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think, sure, if, 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 if you don't land, you know, a majority of them, it could be viewed as a slight disappointment. But I still think this class at the end of the day is going to be really damn good. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to get my point. And I'm not saying you didn't say, I'm not saying you were not saying that. Yeah, I, 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 my whole point is that the reason, one of the main reasons a few months ago why I thought that, you know, locking up all these guys so early really mattered is because it allowed you to go big game hunting. And I think you landed Jordan Hancock in, in part because you had the ability and the time to, you know, invest so much in him. And they have the ability and time to, you know, and, and resources to go after these other guys with everything they have. And, you know, there has to be some sort of expectation at Ohio State where if you lock into these guys and go after them for so many months and, and, and everybody in the world knows that they're your number one guys at each position, you would certainly, at least from Ohio State's perspective, hope that, you know, those efforts paid off. So I think that, you know, I think three is the reasonable expectation. If they get two, it's not like I would be like, wow, that's pretty disappointing. But, um, yeah, if there were none or, or only one, that would be a little bit disappointing just because we know how, how, you know, how much they've been going after, you know, all of these guys. Yeah, and that is a good point because they had so many of those guys locked up early they really have been able to focus on a small group of recruits so i think that is a very good point that if you're going to put in that kind of effort on a group of just five or six guys to round out your class you do want to hit on at least a couple of them yeah it's a little like malachi branham to me too where they're sort of putting the eggs in this basket and if it works out it's gonna be an awesome basket but if not that will be pretty uh, not pretty disappointing just because as a whole like i keep saying the classes are great, but it'd still be a little bit disappointing because these are great. To, these these are great players that they're after, um, and you know they're they're for any other class they would a lot of them would be the best player in, in their respective uh, college's class. But at Ohio State, they would just be another five star or another four star. Which I get it at this point. It's like how much could you even possibly criticize them? But I mean. We have no football going on. I guess this is just what goes through my head. Yeah, ex- that, that, this is very true. My brain is my brain is wilting. But Dan, <laughs> go. What, what's your what's the third thing you've been thinking about? Yeah, I mean, I've been even just trying to think like, what else can I say that we haven't already said? Because <laughs> I just feel like uh, it's so much of the same topics over and over these days. But this is kind of going back to what we talked about earlier. But it's just kind of something that you know i i thought about earlier you know with seeing what the mlb did on tuesday where the marlins and and phillies are both being held out and they moved the the yankee the yankees who were supposed to play the phillies the orioles were supposed to play the marlins if i have that correct they're now playing each other on a on a on a last minute schedule change and I think I mentioned this before, but I, I still wonder, can that work in college football? Whereas, 
you know, again, I think we, we, we know the reality here is there's going to be teams that have to drop out of games at the last minute. In a, in a Big Ten-only schedule, could, can you make it work that if, you know, two Big Ten teams can't play on a certain weekend, that those other two Big Ten teams... You because know, I think this could happen where you, you have it where you know two teams played the weekend before one of them has an outbreak the other one's got a quarantine too because they played them. Can you do you think that will be able to work where you could potentially have a last minute switch of opponents or is that just too hard to do in college football? Yeah, it's a it's a fair question because I mean you see the Miami Marlins thing happen and everything goes into a panic, but like this panic that everyone's going into like. It's sort of been the plan, like when the when the Big Ten um, decided to to not have non-conference games. Part of it was that flexibility thing that we've been coming back to because you want to have the ability ability to, to change opponents at the last minute. But from a practicality standpoint, I mean, I feel like it doesn't get much more difficult than that. So, yeah, the idea sounds great. I just don't know if and and if it's how realistic it is. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I I agree with you; it would be a challenge, but I st- I still feel like it it might be a it might actually be a possibility. Like especially if you have it where you know one team was already supposed to be home and one was already away. I mean, obviously you've got to change travel arrangements, and that could be even more difficult in vi- in this situation. But I think you have to try to make that kind of stuff work. Whether it will actually work, I don't think. I literally don't think we're going to know until it actually happens or they try to make it happen. But I think those are the kind of things if you want to try to get through this season in the, it, 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 as completely as possible, everything's going to have to be on the table, and I think that's one of those things. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's fair. We have some questions, Dan. Yeah, first question came to us from Little Trouty, and he asked, B-dubs or roosters? And it's an interesting question that you ask that, Little Trouty, because I don't know how much of this I can say right now, but I have been informed that 11 Warriors and Buffalo Wild Wings are going to be entering into a, a partnership here very soon uh, with Buffalo Wild Wings uh, being the uh, official sports bar of 11 Warriors. So uh, that's, that's, that's pretty exciting uh, to, to get uh, a sponsorship lined up uh, they're like that, and certainly I think uh, we're looking forward to, to working with them. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm contractually obligated to say Buffalo Wild Wings, but I, I mean, I will say I legitimately don't know that I've been to Roosters in Columbus, um, and I've been to Buffalo Wild Wings quite a quite a few times just because I, I mean, I lived right, I lived right um, what, like a three-minute walk from there, so I probably went at least once a month in college, so I love me some I love me some B dubs, and now I yeah, get my, to say that, and um, I'm a company man for saying that as well. Yeah, my my dad's a big Buffalo Wild Wings guy, so he's he's going to be excited to hear this. Yes, yes, Ziplock 007, heck of a name. He asks, he or she asks, Tate is the backup again at Miami. Is it just me, or are touted quarterback recruits the most hit or miss of all position? I think is is this question. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd have to do the math to really look at that, but you know, I feel like it's probably up there because you know, I mean, I mean, the thing about the thing about the quarterback position is 
when you have a position where only one guy can play at a time, you just naturally have a lot of guys who, even though they're hyped up, they just don't get that opportunity at the school that they committed to. And, you know, I think, you know, you have, you know, you have guys like Tate sometimes where, you know, they're at one school, they lose their opportunity there, and then, you know, they go somewhere else where they think it's going to work out for them, and then doesn't work out for them there either because there's just only so many spots, and it, it can be very easy. You know, I think a lot of times as a quarterback, you might only have that one real opportunity to go win the starting job, and if you don't win it then, you might never get it again. So I think that's a big part of it, just the nature of the position. I know we were talking about it uh, off-air, a conversation with a few other 11 Warrior staffers the other day. It, it seems like linebacker's been one for Ohio State for whatever reason that has been very hit or miss for Ohio State. Yeah, that's the one. If you're going to talk Ohio State specific, you can go back for the last uh, 20 or so years that, that you know in the modern recruiting era and look at all the five-star misses Ohio State has had at linebacker. And I think if you add them up, and you know, Dan, if there's no season, these are the kind of stories that people can expect because that would be that would be you know on in my notebook of something to to go track down. But um, I think from Ohio State perspective, that's probably that that might be the answer. The quarterback thing is interesting though because I think for a little bit there. Um, for a while at least, I think it's fair to say that there were a good amount of, of highly rated quarterbacks who are missing. What I'm interested to see going forward is it feels like over the past you know four or five years, quarterback evaluation has improved and also the readiness of high school quarterbacks to come and play immediately has improved. And I think because of that, I think the evaluation is going to be a little bit easier. And I do wonder if you know over the next five or ten years as we look back, if we will come and say that you know higher rated quarterbacks performed better over the last or over the next five years than they really ever did before I that's sort of my theory is uh, of what will happen just because I think quarterbacks have developed a, at a pretty substantial rate just as a as a position over the past decade or so yeah I mean it's interesting I'm just kind of like looking back here as, as you're talking like you look at 2017 for example, and like Tua was number three, Jake Fromm was number four, but then your other top five were Davis Mills at number one, Hunter Johnson number two, and Tate Martell at number five. So that's a that's a forty percent hit right there, just on the top five guys. You know, you look at twenty eighteen, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields were clearly home runs as the top two guys. Then the rest of the top three, you've got JT Daniels who just transferred to Georgia, where. He's probably going to be a backup for another year after losing the job at USC. And then Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who I do not think has been close to what he was regarded as a, as a recruit at UCLA. And then Justin Rogers, who I believe just transferred from TCU to somewhere else. And you know he's had some injury issues and stuff. So it's still, it's still kind of hit or miss there. Uh, you know, getting some stars at the top of a class, but uh, it does seem like it's still somewhat hit or miss there. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Um, it, I, I, I'm gonna stick with my I'm gonna stick with my theory though, Dan. And in five years, let's let's go back and look because we will undoubtedly still be um, on our what a, that'll probably be our six year anniversary of, of the podcast, right? Yeah, that's a long time to think ahead in the future. Do you think that there will be football by then? Oh God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry to even put that in your brain. 
yeah, no, I, I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident there will be football uh, in five years. There, there better be. If, if there's no football in five years, we've got much bigger problems. That is that is very true. But all in OSU has found another problem that he that he asks, and it is the roster is still 86 or at 86 players according to the 11 Warriors list. Is the roster supposed to be at 85 by the beginning of fall camp or the end? If the season is called off before the required date, will it be okay to go over next year's limit? And I guess we can just hit on that one real quick and say that the answer is probably yes, but who knows, man? I mean, that's that is that that's that's impossible to. Yeah, to the second one is still to be determined. That I mean, that's it, it is still to be determined. There's just not an answer for that yet. I would I would certainly expect that if there's no season this year of it that there would be an exemption built in uh, for teams to be able to go over the scholarship or, or basically guys who would have graduated this year would not count against the scholarship next year. It would probably be a, a multi-year type exemption or something uh, to give teams that flexibility. Uh, in regards to the, the, the first question, I, I, I guess I, I just look, you know, it, it's been weird. It's been, cause it's been such a weird offseason where my feeling is if they had gone through a full spring practices and teams and guys knew where they stood that most likely at least one other guy would have transferred out by now uh that 86 is also still dependent on cj saunders's waiver which he still has not heard back on (laughs) at the end of july which might be more baffling than the fact that we don't know if there's going to be a season at this point but I guess my feeling is, and again, I, I absolutely no, not saying there's anyone that I, I know of here, but it just would be my feeling is at a time where we're seeing, at a time where there's so much uncertainty, my guess would be if a season proceeds forward, there's probably someone in that 86 who is going to decide not to play for whatever reason. Yeah, and I don't necessarily know if I mean they would still probably count on the on the scholarship counter, so I don't necessarily know if that would mean um, Ohio State still wouldn't be over by one. Um, but again, that's I I do think that that I don't know the I don't know again I don't know the yeah. exact ruling on that in terms of uh, if guys opt out if they would if they would that would still be count one of the many the questions that I would be. That's one of the many questions I'd be interested to know the answer to. That unfortunately, since <laughs> decisions are still being made and interviews are are not being given at the moment, um, I don't know. Gear Bear, we can go on to the next one. Gear Bear asks pros and cons of a Big Ten only season, and not just from a scheduling perspective, but also national uh, from a nationally competitive record outcome and implications for the CFP. Does this make it virtually impossible to have two Big Ten teams in the CFP? Well, I mean, pr- pros and cons, I, I, and I think the obvious pro is just that it makes it more manageable from the sense of play, trying to play a season in a pandemic. I mean, I, I don't think there's an obvious pro just in regards to the season itself beyond the pandemic because, you know, nobody wanted to, to cancel those those games um you know i mean I, I think you could argue that it puts a little more emphasis on just the conference and 
you know, maybe every game means a little bit more just in terms of the regular season. Uh, but I don't know if there's really an obvious pro in in that regard. Um, but I think I think the obvious pro is that in a pandemic situation, it's much easier to to manage all the teams that are playing each other if it is a conference only schedule. Um, you know, in regards to the cons, uh, yeah, I mean, I do I do think you know one of the cons is that you don't really it, it, it's going to make it a lot harder to compare. Uh, you know, especially if all the conferences do it, it's just going to make it a lot harder to compare teams against one another uh, without having any non-conference games at all. And and yeah, I don't. I I I would think without playing non-conference games that the conference champion is going to be the only team that's going to make the college football playoff. Would be my strong feeling, but. Again, there's so much uncertainty here that it's hard to say. Yeah, the interesting thing is that, like, what happens if the Big 12 played 12 games and the Big 10 played nine? I, I just don't, I don't know. Um, and I think to that point of whether there would be, whether it would be possible for two big teams to to make the playoff, I think that that's probably the case. I would be pretty surprised if the Big 10 played nine games and two teams from the conference both made the playoff. I mean that. That would be pretty nuts to me. I, I am definitely not going to say that I will be living in that reality. Um, and I think that you know 9 or 10 is probably the, the amount of games that you can reasonably hope for at this point um, from, from Ohio State and the Big Ten. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I think that – I think basically the pros of it are not necessarily from – from anything but a scheduling perspective because in the question you had mentioned not just from a scheduling perspective I think the pros are solely because of the scheduling perspective I think the cons are the things that you know you have to accept that come with this decision but you also make it knowing that you also make the decision knowing that you know in your perspective from your perspective this is really the only way that you feel like you can even potentially get a season in yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot of cons. I mean, some of them are just smaller things, like the fact that you're not going to be able to get your young guys as much playing time uh, because you're not going to have those non-conference games against you know teams that you'd expect uh, to defeat by big margins. You know, you you're not going to get that you know marquee game against Oregon, and now you you you've got a real challenge of trying to reschedule that game for another year if you're still going to have uh, Oregon come to Ohio Stadium next year. So, you know, that's something that's certainly a con. I, I think there's a lot of little things like that, but I think ultimately, you know, people like Gene Smith look at it and say, with what we're dealing with right now, the pro of having that schedule of flexibility outweighs all of those cons right now because. Right now, it's all just about trying to salvage this season. And if playing a conference-only schedule and having that flexibility gives the Big Ten a better opportunity to do that, then that's what they had to do. Next question is a very important question, again from Bia, um, who asks, Chex recently debuted a green a green onion-flavored Chetsmiths in Korea as part of a long-standing debt to the public since 08 when companies didn't realize... 
um, what a chaotic entity the internet was and what a bad idea it is to promise what to do what the internet votes on, um, which is a very fair point. I have heard it starts off tasting like normal checks, having a mild sweetness, but then goes um, on to a very strong green onion flavor that takes over. Would you try it, Dan? Sure, sure, I'd try it. I mean, I, I I'm not, I'm not picky. I'm, I think I'm usually open to trying anything once, so I'd try it. Yeah, I think I'd try it too. Um, I can almost guarantee I wouldn't like it, but I feel <laughs> yeah. like you. Have, yeah, I, I feel like I have. I have to try no it. idea if I would like it because it seems sounds very unique. Uh, but I would try it. Yeah, I mean, I I feel actually pretty confident I wouldn't like it. Um, but you know, if if I guess we have to go out and look for this, Dan. Maybe we can maybe we can spend the time that we have not um, covering a season to to go to Korea and, and taste test this. <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe it's like the uh, the Saint Elmo shrimp cocktail that I love, but uh, you are not a fan of. I have a I have a sneaking suspicion that would be the case. K Bonet asks, the Heisman has gone to transfer quarterbacks more often than not recently. So is Justin Fields a lock? And that is, you know, I think that's fair. And if the season isn't played, I think that you know we should probably just just hand him the trophy. <laughs> I, I, I think that logic is a bit of a stretch <laughs> to uh, say that he's a lock because he's a transfer quarterback because I think Trevor Lawrence is pretty good. Uh, but uh, he's certainly uh, right up there uh, as the favorite. I think if I was betting on someone to win it, I think he would be my choice. But uh, I think Trevor Lawrence is right there with him. And uh, usually with the Heisman race, I mean, I think we see it more often than not that Usually, the guy who wins it is not the person who's being hyped up as the preseason frontrunner. I mean, people were not saying that about Joe Burrow last year. They were not saying it about Kyler Murray the year before. So, uh, you know, Fields and Lawrence look to be, you know, very strong frontrunners. But uh, I think if there is a season, that most likely there's going to be other uh, strong contenders that emerge as well. I'll go Sam Ellinger because he's going to play a 12 game season and Justin Fields is going to play five games or something like that. Yeah, I don't know if I can get on board with with Sam Ellinger Heisman candidate, but it's possible. Yeah, no, that was. I was thinking more like a Spencer Rattler <laughs> or someone, you know, someone like that who hasn't played yet, um, you know, who who could come out and you know you know have a really big year. Genin Jamie Juice Newman. Said, yeah, J- Genin Juice asked another important question. Yes, Stadium Mustard or Burtman's. Man, I don't, I don't know that I... This is a better question for you, because that's no, a very... No, it's not, Dan. I like ketchup. I don't even like mustard. This is, this oh, is all you. I thought you, ha- I thought you had to like uh, one of these kinds of mustard if you were a Cleveland guy. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I, I probably do, but I don't. So. No, I'll be honest. I, I've had them both. I like them both. I don't... I think stadium mustard is the one that I've typically bought in the past, so I'll say that's my answer. But I also like to be honest with you. It's not like I've had both of them enough to like truly compare and say one's better than the other. I I've had them both. Uh, I I like them both. I, I am a fan of the, the the spicy brown mustard, which which is a very Ohio thing. I, growing up in Massachusetts, uh, I did not have that, so that was something that I discovered uh, when I came out to Ohio. That if I uh, if I have a hot dog, it's a it's a good thing to put on there. Does Buffalo Wild Wings have any mustard that we should plug? Oh, man, I, I I don't have that information 
in in front of me. Um, wow. I do I I, I I do know that I just know from my dad that uh, whenever he goes to Buffalo Wild Wings, he's a big soft pretzel guy, and he always asks for mustard instead of the beer cheese or whatever they give you. Um, he always asks for mustard. So uh, I know it's man. I know it's approved. I know their mustard is approved by my dad. I think I think they have a honey mustard, um, and I think that's what he likes. Well, whenever this all becomes official, we'll we'll become experts on on their menu. But and Dan, you might look at the sheet and you might say, "Well, we've run through all our questions." That's not true. We actually have two. I just I just that noticed that as well. But but I will say, Hovenot asks, looking ahead, when do things get back to normal? Comma thoughts on permanent changes for college football landscape. And to that, Hovenot, I will say. There's no chance that we're getting into that this late in the show. So, we actually only have one more question, and that is from Silver Sniper. And he asks, will we see Cam Babb, Elijah Gardner, or Jalen Harris make a move at wide receiver this year? Dan, go ahead. Well, I think if I was picking one of them who I think I would say is most likely to make a move, I'd put my money on Jalen Harris because I I think – uh, at that X receiver position that looks like it's going to be open with Garrett Wilson moving to the slot, uh, I think he he's he's got a shot to be the starter at that spot, especially because of this weird offseason that we had, where you know those you know those guys like Julian Fleming and, and G Scott, who you know would have had a full set of spring practices, only had three spring practices and they're true freshmen. I, I think that's going to make it all the more likely that Ohio State is going to lean on veterans at least as starters. Uh, to begin the year, so Jalen Harris would be the guy for me that I, I'd say. You know, out of those guys, I think he's the guy in that group who I think is most likely to to be in the rotation and have a breakout year. I think Cam Babb has the talent to do so. I just can't bet on it until I see him out on a field again. Uh, you know, from the videos we've seen, he looks like he's moving really well, so that's a great sign. But it's been so long since he's played. Football. I mean, he he's basically missed three straight years of football. So it's been so long since he's actually played a competitive football game that I just feel like I've got to see it from him before I can really make any projections about him. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Um, I you I feel like a little bit of an idiot, Dan, because I think I've been writing for the past four months that Jalen Harris is a senior when in fact. He is a redshirt junior, as I think you've probably told me seven times, um, but I continually forget it. Um, so, regardless of that, I still think Jalen Harris is probably the best bet out of all of them. Um, Cam Babb, though, I will say, he's just fascinating to me. I mean, when you look at him as an athlete, uh, Ohio State's going to have no shortage of athletes at wide receiver for the foreseeable future. But I think Cam Babb can match up with them naturally, with, with his natural gifts. Um as well as anybody else could. Um, so I'll be fascinated to see what he can do. If there is a – of those three, if you're going to say there's this big-time breakout, someone has 45 catches, I would probably say that that's Cam Bat um, because I think that he's the kind of guy who, if he puts it together, he can do something He can do something, you know, pretty special. But more likely than not, if there is some guy in the rotation who, who starts to, to contribute, um, I would probably put the money on Jalen Harris. Yeah, I, I agree with you there on Bab, but I think he has the most upside out of that group. I think he's the guy that if it if he can stay healthy and it all clicks, I think the potential is there still for him to be a, a fantastic player at Ohio State. Uh, you know, you know, Jalen Harris. Uh, 
I think Jalen Harris can be a good player. I think if he was going to be a great player, I think maybe we would have seen that by now. Definitely not writing him off by any means, but I do I do think the upside for Bab, you know, particularly the fact that he's got you know another year of eligibility to those guys, you know, him being a third year guy versus Gardner and Harris both being fourth year guys, the long term upside for Bab over the next three years I would say is higher than it would be uh, for Harris or Gardner uh, over the next two years if if you know all of those guys are still here for that time. Yeah, those are guys that, and, and those are also guys we don't really talk about but I think they're interesting and they could contribute more than we give them credit for so it's good to good to mention them I mean a lot of talent in that receiver group that's I mean that's one of those positions I think of all the positions we really want to get to watch and just have a football season get to watch this year uh, to me those wide receivers are right at the top of the list because there's so much talent in that group yet still a lot of unknowns outside of Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson yeah, and I would still love to see Garrett in the slot and what Olave oh, yeah. looks like, you know, coming back from, you know, the fiasco at, at, in the, on the final play, offensive play of the Fiesta Bowl. It's going to be a fascinating season if we get it, so let's hope we get it. Uh, thanks again to all, everyone. Uh, lots of good questions this week, so really appreciate you all uh, participating in the conversation with us, and uh, you know, we'll see what we'll see what happens here. Over the next couple weeks, um, you were still kind of leaving it up in the air here, where you know we'll we'll kind of decide on whether we have a podcast next week uh, based on how things are going on. And I know you know Colin's going to have actual NHL games to cover, so uh, we'll probably kind of leave it up in the air depending on what happens over the next week. But uh, we'll be talking to you guys soon either way. Hopefully, hopefully with good news. Hopefully, uh, hopefully with good news. Uh, we can only hope for the best. But uh, hopefully, at least in the next couple of weeks, we'll get a little bit more clarity because I feel like we've said this on 10 different podcasts this offseason, and uh, it, it still feels like we're uh, not in all that different a spot than we were a couple months ago. So uh, hopefully we'll start to get some answers soon, and uh, you know, team will be starting fall camp uh, nine days from now if things stay according to plan. So uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Hopefully things are able to ramp up, and you know, hopefully it's safe to – have a football season this fall. So uh, either way, uh, we'll be checking back in with you guys again soon. Uh, Thanks again for listening, and have a great week, everyone.